0: Do you ever wonder why some relationships last and some fizzle out or fall apart? Did you know that there are four distinct phases that every relationship or friendship needs to experience to get to a place of trust, safety, and depth? In today's episode, you will learn about these four stages to build a community that lasts and what I'm about to share with you feels like a secret to life that I discovered from one of my graduate school professors, Dr. James Meyer. He's an adjunct professor at Cairn University. He has a ministry to pastors and co-pastors, a church with his son. And Dr. Meyer provided guidance to many pastoral leaders in navigating through church conflict using mediation. I can't wait to share with you what I've learned from Dr. Meyer, and it's a revelation that has changed my life and how I do community. Are you in a season where you're longing for more, desiring inner peace, hoping for more authenticity in relationships? Perhaps you're feeling unsettled inside. Like, you know, that God is calling you deeper, higher and further than you've ever gone before. You are ready for change and it's time for something to shift. But what is it? What's been missing? My name is Amber Todd, I am a Christian counselor, and I believe that you were never meant to live a disconnected, segmented life. You were created for connection, deep, authentic, healing connection. First, within yourself, because your mental, physical, and spiritual health is interconnected. This is why I love collaborating with doctors and like-minded holistic practitioners who honor God's design for our whole being to function and operate in harmony. Life Interconnected Podcast is an intentional space you can come to every week to receive encouragement, hope, and a fresh perspective on your internal world so that you better understand your thoughts and emotions and how to live a connected life. Join this movement of mindful believers who desire to grow in our faith and cultivate a holistic approach to health and wellness. Subscribe to the podcast today and share it with your friends. Welcome to Life Interconnected. So as I've shared, I lived in four different states throughout my adult life, Indiana, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Michigan. And I've noticed a pattern in each place that I've lived. It's taken about four years to truly feel at home and safe in deep, close friendships, for me to feel like, you know what, people really know me and really care about me. Now, that happened over time. In, in two of the states I lived in, I wasn't there a t- total of four years. And so I've just been curious in my own life, what happened over those four years, um, specifically as I've been in Pennsylvania and Indiana, the two places I live the longest, to make me feel that way? Was it just time? Or are there specific things that happen over time that contribute to closeness? You know, two of the places I've lived, I saw a pattern of what it took to get to the point where there was the depth that I desired. And I think that's why for me, because we had that in Pennsylvania with our community, when I moved back to Indiana, I knew that it was going to require some intentionality around relationships. Being in Fort Wayne and moving back here to be closer to our family was a big transition for us. I'm from Bloomington. I grew up there. So I'm from Indiana, but I had never lived in Fort Wayne before. You know, Nate had this foundation of his family and friends from growing up. And so for me, it was really like starting over. And I think because we were moving back for community and for support to have a strong support system, I really took these things that I learned in Pennsylvania through my own communal experience and through graduate school to just be aware of what commitment it was going to take to to really cultivate the community that I longed for. You know, I've shared in previous episodes about how I was in a season of being really burned out at that time. I was burned out in ministry. I felt isolated in motherhood and really coming to Fort Wayne felt like there was finally hope that we would be able to cultivate this beautiful community that I had longed for. And so taking time and intention to invest in relationships really led to this deeper sense of belonging. You know, it's really what we all long for, right? To belong, to be accepted. But how do we do that? You know, sometimes we just think, well, I just need to find the right people. So it's almost like we're, we're scanning our surroundings and social environments to find these magical people who immediately make us feel like we belong. But I'll tell you, I feel like I've learned over the last two decades that belonging is something that you cultivate. It's not just something that you magically find. Now, of course, there's going to be people that we gravitate towards, that we naturally click with, where it feels easier, but it is something you have to cultivate. And so what does it take? You know, I I was struck by a new idea last summer when I read Jenny Allen's book, Find Your People. And one thing that Jenny shares is that it takes over 200 hours to, to build true depth with a friend. And I never really quantified that amount of time before, but it makes sense. You know, when I think about my season of life in college, when I was living with a hundred women, so I was in a sorority called kappa cap alpha theta at IU and we had a house of a hundred women and we lived together. We did life together. We brushed our teeth next to one another. We ate our meals together. And I think about that season and how quickly I developed really deep friendships that have lasted a lifetime. All of my bridesmaids were in my sorority. And these are friendships that have been really meaningful to me over the years. And I think about the amount of time we logged together and how much that impacted me. But, you know, I will say that it's not just the amount of time, but it's what happens within that time, right? Right. Like from a simple standpoint, it's this idea of am I going through these stages to build towards something? And what is that something? I believe that something is this sense of belonging. It's a sense of depth. It's a sense of I'm known and loved and this person is for me. Even on my bad days, they know me and they know my heart and I won't be rejected. I won't be abandoned. I'm safe in this relationship. And I think about you know not only friendships with individuals and you know relationships with people that we know but also this can apply to group dynamics and i love leading groups it's one of my favorite things to lead small groups or counseling groups because i've really studied group dynamics and even as i was in the group counseling class in grad school you know we talk a lot about all these multiple dynamics present in a group and you know, how that really contributes to creating safe space where everyone can grow. And I do want to say that I think that's one of the challenges of how churches do Bible studies or small groups is that typically from my experience, a small group might last, you know, for a season, like maybe fall or spring or maybe a year, but usually after that groups are changing, you know, it's new people are coming in, people are exiting. So You constantly have this change, and anytime a new person comes into a group or someone leaves, the group dynamic changes. And especially for a new person coming in, if a new person joins a group, the level of safety in the group always goes back to reset. Because, in essence, that person doesn't know everyone else's story, and everyone else might not feel safe yet with that person. And so, even if it's one person, it does change a group dynamic. And so I've just always been fascinated by that. And because I lead support groups, even looking at, you know, how, how do I help people feel safe and what is it going to take over time to do that? And so last week I shared with you about my experience in lab in grad school, which was just this um, intentional group that met three hours every week, you know, after we had our lecture and we cultivated depth over an entire year for three hours a week. I mean, that made such a huge impact on my life and it's still, I would say, one of the most influential experiences I've had in my adult life with other people. And, you know, even though we were all counselors, we really came from a diverse range of backgrounds and ages and life experiences. And one of my group mates was specifically challenging for me, if I'm honest. You know, when I first met him, I immediately thought, this is going to be hard. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where you're in a a new group and, you know, maybe people are sharing for the first time and you're like, okay, like maybe I don't really click with that person or something they said was triggering or maybe they have a hard personality for you. And so something about him was just honestly annoying to me, if I'm being really transparent. You know, he would raise his hand in the middle of someone sharing until he had a chance to say what he wanted to say. And that was a very distracting to me. And at first it just felt, frankly, it felt rude. (laughs) And I just think he lacked a level of self-awareness. Like I don't think he was doing it on purpose, but it just really bothered me. And so in the beginning, I kind of wrote him off. Like I just immediately sort of felt like, Oh, like this is just, you know, I'm not going to click with him. It's going to be hard. Is this going to change the group dynamic? You know, but what I realized and what I didn't see at the beginning is that in the midst of my own annoyance and frustration with him, God used him in my life to change my own heart. And I learned to be more patient. I learned to be more empathetic because of this man. You know, I learned about his life story and all the hardships he'd been through And I realized that he never felt like he had a voice, so he always had to push himself into conversations to make it happen. It made sense. Like, of course he felt like he had to interject because he, he didn't yet at that time have the safety and trust that the people in the group would value his voice and give him space to share. So he tried to push it and force it. And so I discovered that he really meant well, and he really did want to help people. And eventually I began to enjoy being around his quirks. And, you know, it was because he became a vital member of our group. When you have 10 people who spend three hours together every week, like you get to know their heart, you get to know their quirks, you get to know their strengths and their weaknesses, and you just develop this love and appreciation for how God created them. And honestly, the more that they're different from you, the more you can learn from them. And that was a really good lesson for me, too, because I think also in Christian culture, we typically gravitate towards people who are similar to us or even within our church, right? Every church has a culture, it has a feeling, it has a vibe. <laughs> and when people are similar to us and we only surround people by who are similar to us, then often we can't be challenged in, in our blind spots. And so that's another encouragement I have for you. Like, do you have people in your life who are different from you? And how can God use that to expose the areas that you need to grow? And so how did I go from being like totally annoyed with this guy at the beginning of the year to actually valuing his presence and input by the end? Well, there were four stages that happened between the ten of us that I want to talk about because it was really a catalyst for the rest of my experiences in groups in my adult life something now that I carry with me anytime I'm leading a group in church or in a counseling setting something magical transpired during our three hours together every week, and what was it well the language that I'm gonna use and what I'm about to share with you I learned from dr. James Meyer and he was an amazing professor at Karen University not only is he a pastoral counselor Um, He co-pastors a church, and he actually facilitates a lot of mediation between church leaders who have experienced conflict. And so Dr. Meyer just carries a wealth of wisdom, and he created this framework for us as believers who desire to have deep community based on Hebrews 10. And I'm going to walk you through each of these stages that I learned from Dr. Meyer. And these are really the stages that I want you to be aware of. In any specific relationship that you're in, or any group that you're in, as I'm sharing each stage, I want you to think about your own relationships and your own groups and what stage you might currently be in so that you know how to cultivate the dynamic in that stage so that you can move on to the next stage. So, here is stage number one. Stage one is connecting, and what that means is that it's a stage where we say, hey, let's get to know each other. And this first part of Hebrews ten twenty two says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Like, what does it mean to draw near to others? It means that we cultivate connection with each other. Like just the phrase, let us, that implies like we are doing life together. We want to get to know each other. As we draw near, it's connection with God together, connection that's honest with true hearts. Cultivating deep connection requires honesty. It requires vulnerability. As you're connecting heart to heart, that type of connection is spiritual. It's in full assurance of faith. Okay? It has integrity. When we talk about hearts being sprinkled or bodies being washed in Hebrews 10, it's, it's about integrity, right? And full honesty. And so this first stage of connection is when we're first in a group or first in a new friendship, we need to get to know each other. We need to know each other's stories. We need to know where did you come from and what are your life experiences that have shaped you? I need to know the context of who you are and how you became who you are so that I can understand where you're coming from. And so when we cultivate connection within a group, it promotes safety. It develops this idea of being pursued and the value of pursuing one another. It helps group members tell their story. I think one of the essential things anytime you're starting a new group is that each person needs to share their story. They need to share where they come from. And it's so interesting that, you know, I have, you know, some relationships where I feel like, you know, maybe we're collaborating on something or, you know, we see each other consistently, but we've never actually fully shared our stories. There's almost like a missing link right if you don't know where someone comes from and you don't know their their journey then it's hard to like develop depth and closeness even if you have a common bond or you're working on something that you're both passionate about and so we can have confidence in God we can have confidence in our group members that that we are for each other because we we know each other and we value hearing and and learning about one another's stories and i one of my favorite phrases and one of the things that's super important to me is the value of knowing and being known i think the two go hand in hand and how does this happen if you lead a group like how do you cultivate this through open ended questions and through engaging all members if you lead a group there's always going to be that person or that few people who are quiet it is not because they don't have something to say it's typically because maybe one, they're shy or they're, they're slower internal processors. Two, there's also typically the people in the group who who speak up first, speak up loudly and speak up the most. When you have that dynamic, which was the guy who was in my group in lab, that type of person can sometimes override the people who are more quiet. So when you're a leader, you have to learn the art of acknowledging those who are more vocal and giving space, but also sometimes you have to kind of push back on that and create space and quiet for those who are more shy, because if you wait long enough, they will share. And as a counselor, that's something I've kind of mastered the art of is that I feel like I'm, you know, constantly waiting and giving people space to like process what's in their heart and to share openly because I'm giving them time to sit in the silence. Silence is one of the most powerful tools you can use if you're a group leader, because someone will eventually speak up. (laughs) All right, so stage one is connecting. Stage two is committing. Hebrews 10.23 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So what does commitment truly mean in the context of a relationship or a group? It means I'm for you and you're for me. When we talk about commitment, what are we committing to? So in that verse, it says, let us, we have a commitment to each other. We have a commitment that has strength, hold fast. That means we have a strength in our commitment. We're holding on fast, even when it's hard, even when we have conflict, even when we go through difficult things, we are holding fast to Christ and to another. Let us commit to Christ. Hold us, let us hold fast the confession So that means this commitment to, to being honest, not only with each other, but with the Lord, a commitment to expectation. When we're holding on to hope, we have this expectation of good things to come. of God working in and through us and being in our midst, we have a commitment that's consistent. When we say hope without wavering in that verse, it means that there's a consistency in it, right? It's not just showing up every once in a while or, or showing up half hearted. But we're showing it fully by being consistent, by, by being there every week. And we have a commitment with confidence because our confidence is that he who promised is faithful. That when we show up, when we commit to the Lord and to one another, God will move and he will prove himself faithful in our midst. So how do leadership skills develop and character develops in the midst of the stage of commitment? It provides hope to people like, okay, these people are for me. I'm not alone and I have, I have support. Um, It provides challenging questions. You know, it gives the, the starts to give the context to welcome critique or redirecting or correction, right? That's how we grow and we'll get to kind of the full stage of that in the next stage. Um, It allows us to promote member pursuit and creates the the foundation for modeling confrontation because when we're committed to each other that's an essential part of being able to confront in a healthy way it establishes an environment of acceptance like if i know that people have gotten to know me we've connected and now we're committed to each other there's a level of acceptance and gentleness in how we develop as leaders and so connection and commitment are the two first stages that are essential to go to the stages three and four. So why is that? Because stage three, <laughs> are you ready for this? Some of you are, might not love what I'm about to say, but it's actually one of the most powerful tools for growth. Here it is. Stage three is confrontation. Okay. Hebrews ten twenty four says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. So here's what confrontation means, and I'm going to dispel a lot of the myths in your head, and especially those of you who feel like it's something you avoid. Confrontation means I love you so much that I am willing to say hard things. I'm willing to speak truth and love. Confrontation that is reciprocal is essential. Confrontation should be two ways. There should be a freedom to confront and speak truth in both ways if only one person in the group or one person in the relationship feels like they can confront then that means there may be an imbalance of safety and trust and power confrontation should be reflective you know when it says let us consider like we should consider how are we pursuing God together how are we honoring God is there anything in me that is a blind spot that I don't see, that I'm not aware of. You know, I love the verse that says, you know, God, search me and know me. I love this idea that the Holy Spirit himself searches us. He searches our hearts. He searches our minds. He he searches the things in us that still need to be sanctified. You know, that's really... Sanctification is a lifelong process, right? It's a lifelong journey of becoming more like Christ. And so, when I allow the Holy Spirit to search me, when I allow and invite group members to be honest with me, there's this depth of relational one anothering. You know, it means that in order to stir up love and good good works, I'm going to allow confrontation and truth within the conversations that I'm having in my group or in relationships to be welcome. You know, confrontation is redemptive. It it is a way to show love. And that's why I'm so adamant about dispelling this myth that confrontation is negative and should be avoided. If you are not confronting in your relationships, if you're not ever saying hard things or addressing things that are bothering you or difficult for you, then you're actually missing out on the ability to go deeper in your relationships. So I'm going to speak to you, those of you now who there's something that you're Holding on to that's been bothering you about someone else, or that you feel conviction about truth in their life. If you've been holding on to it, you're actually robbing them from the opportunity to grow, you're holding back an opportunity for them to be stirred up in love and in good works. Now, of course, this is if your heart is pure, like if you are confronting out of love, not just confronting to shame them or make them feel bad or just to call them out but you're doing it because you feel led by the Holy Spirit, because you, you know them, you're committed to them, you love them, and so therefore you want to speak truth, okay? Because doing that, speaking truth and confronting, calls others to repentance, it calls others higher, it call, calls others to turn towards Christ in a deeper way and so what are the leadership skills and character traits that come from confrontation it allows relationships to to progress i will tell you you know my most deep closest friendships every single one we've had difficult confrontation and challenging conversations and because of that we've grown together because of them i'm a better person because they've been willing to say things to me that other people probably have thought and never said (laughs) And so even in lab, and I and I shared this last week as I was talking about connection and the power of that, my lab members being able to say, you know what, Amber, sometimes we feel really intimidated being around you because it seems like you just have things all figured out. Like you share vulnerable things, but then you tie a bow on it and it doesn't make us feel like you need us. Like you can just do this without us. And that was so hard to hear because I felt like, Deep down, I longed to be known, to feel close, to receive input, but I didn't know how to let people in. And because of them sharing that, I was actually able to open my eyes to the fact that I need to be aware of letting my guard down. I need to allow myself to unravel in front of friends and just be known in it and not have it all figured out. And learning to be okay with the mess was so powerful in the progression of my friendships. And by allowing and welcoming member critique, by stirring up difficulty, by allowing uninterrupted group interaction, this type of conflict and confrontation encourages introspection. And, you know, there is absolutely a way to confront that is honoring and loving, okay? And those of you who, you know, need practicals, here's what that might look like. You know, it's having discernment to do it in the right way in the right time and you know scripturally when we talk about you know conflict or confrontation I think it's important you know how do we honor someone if it's something personal that's happened or something you've observed like you know in scripture we see we need to go directly to the person right so one-on-one approach that person and you know ask hey there's some things that have been on my heart I'd love to have time interrupted with you that that we could have some honest conversation. Could we get, you know, a date on the calendar? So set some intention around it. You know, be sure to honor them, to share, you know, the things you value about their presence in your life and their friendship or things you've learned from them. And, and then share honestly, like, hey, I just, you know, want you to be aware of, you know, some things that I've been observing or noticing and um, just become curious about. You know, I've noticed when you you know, X, Y, and Z, I observe other group members shut down. So the experience with the guy in my group, like when he would raise his hand in the middle of other people sharing, they would like just kind of cut off what they were saying or rush through it and they would stop sharing. And then he would sort of blab on for 10 minutes and then they were emotionally shut down because he stopped them in the middle of being vulnerable. And so by us as a group saying, Hey, when you When you do that thing that you raise your hand while we're talking, it causes others to feel unsafe. And when we feel unsafe, it's hard for us to want to share in group. And so by us being able to share that with him, like he literally had no idea he was doing that. (laughs) And so, yeah, confronting just means being honest and then also giving space for that person to process and to push back and maybe clarify. And that is how growth happens. Growth happens in the midst of confrontation. So when we think about confrontation, if stages one and two are skipped, that's where confrontation leads to offense and exiting a relationship. So this is what I see happen all the time in church, especially in in church leadership. If someone is confronted about something, but there's not a level of, hey, you know me, you love me, you know my heart, and you're committed to me, people will typically leave because they're offended. Because if you don't feel known you don't feel like people are for you, it's really hard to hear challenging things because you assume that they don't like you. You assume that, that they're out to get you, that they're judging you. And that's why showing up and doing this hard work. I mean, very few groups get to this fourth level of community because of this very reason. Confrontation leads to offense. And so I want you to reflect on that. Like, has there been confrontation in your life that you have experienced feeling offended or shut down because you didn't have that level of knowing and being known. That is so key. And so how do we get to this higher highest level of community, which is stage number four. It's communing. Hebrews ten twenty five says, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as in the manner of some, but exhorting or encouraging one another so much that the more as you see the day approaching. And so think about communing as one anothering. This is really what the disciples did. They broke bread with one another. They prayed with one another. They walked and did life with one another. By building biblical community, we experience community that is faithful, dependent, undistracted, helpful, passionate, eternal, when you have this aspect of not forsaking, like we are in this, we're in the thick of it, like no matter what, I love you, I'm for you. You can show up on your worst day and trust and know that I know your heart and I'm going to see you through it. You can depend on the other person because they have committed. They're showing up. They're willing to say hard things. They know you and you exhort one another. You encourage one another. So when you are communing and at this highest level, it means that you deeply see what God has put in the other person and you call it forth. So this is something I feel like in the church, a lot of people misunderstand the idea of accountability. We think accountability should be just calling out someone's sin. You know, I actually believe accountability is seeing the greatness in someone and not letting them settle for anything less because you know what God has put in them is so powerful and so beautiful and so vital to the kingdom of God that you will not let them miss out on that. That's what it means to exhort, That that's what it means to encourage. You know, one of the phrases that has really resonated with me, and I was just talking to somebody about this yesterday, is that I feel called, like part of I think of how God wired me and, and also just my experience being a college advisor, I feel like I'm a spiritual midwife. (laughs) Like I love seeing the gifts in someone, seeing in essence what they're carrying, you know, what they're spiritually pregnant with and calling it out of them by speaking to their gifts and saying, hey, I see this in you and I believe in you. I know you can do it. And empowering them to use their voice and use their gifts. And we need to be around people who, who will do that for us because sometimes, honestly, there's seasons where we just don't see it in ourselves or we forget what God has spoken And we need people who are willing to do that for us. So what does this look like in stage four to build leadership skills at this level? It means to protect cohesion. So if there's a fracture in the group, we again, we revisit confrontation, we address it and we come back to being cohesive and united. We need to return to committing to one another. So anytime there's a confrontation, there's typically a new renewal of commitment. Like, okay, even though this happened, even though you hurt me, even though I'm really disappointed, like I'm for you, I'm in this, we're in this together. The relationships go deep, 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 deep. This is what one another means. We develop and raise up leaders. We revitalize kingdom purpose and passion. And really at this level of communing is where I feel like we experience true wisdom in the Holy Spirit. These stages of Building a community that lasts are essential. So here is a big idea for today. To build deep relationships and a lasting community of encouragement, these four stages are essential. Connect, commit, confront, and commune. So here's what I want you to reflect on this week. I want you to think of one friendship or group that you're in. What is the current stage of community development that you're experiencing. Are you in the connection stage or just kind of getting to know each other? Are you in the commitment stage sort of deciding am I am I half in and half out or am I all in? Am I showing up every week consistently? Are you in the confrontation stage? Are there some honest things that you need to address that you've been avoiding? And how are you going to handle that? Because that is essential to get to the highest stage of just communing we are doing life together so deeply that we know each other we're calling each other higher we're speaking to the gifts that God has put in one another and we 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 have consistent deep hard conversations and cultivate the wisdom of God within all of us so what will it take to go to the next level of depth and what is your role in that i'd love to hear from you anything you're learning you can always reach out anytime, email me, hello at org. I will be finishing out June with one more key component to cultivating connection with others. So a sneak peek for next week's episode, we are going to be diving into this final aspect of how you were created for connection. And did you know I have an email list? If you are not an email friend, if you're not getting an email from me every Monday, I love to pop into your inbox with encouragement for the week. You'll be the first to know about the group that I'm gonna open up this fall and about any opportunities for growth that I have to offer. So if you wanna be on my list, go to ambertodd.org connect. That's ambertodd.org C-O-N-N-E-C-T. And let's be email friends. Thanks for being here today. I'll see you next week. Thank you so much for sharing the space with me today. I want you to know that God sees you. You are loved valued, and important. If this podcast helped you, it would mean so much if you could hit subscribe, leave a review, and text or post a screenshot with your friends who can join our mindful movement of believers. Let's live intentionally as God designed life to be interconnected. I'm cheering for you. We are in this together, and I look forward to next time.